Thanks, Donovan, for that song. God does, he has done and continues to do great things. That's a, it's an amazing part of being his child, being in the family of God. You know, anytime he could do a great thing. I pray that he'll do some great things this morning as we look into his word. If you have a Bible, turn with me, First Peter uh, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 12 this morning. Uh, I didn't mention this before, but did you guys know that there's some doubt, that some people doubt that Peter wrote this letter, this epistle? Do you know why? The main reason? It's just too good. Right? Peter, the fisherman. I mean, Paul, we get Pharisee, trained, educated, under Gamaliel, all that stuff. But uh, Peter, Acts uh, 4.13, I believe, says he's common, uneducated man. But you know what? Uh, you know what answers that? The Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Peter was there. He was uh, the main guy there, the leader guy, and the Spirit of God fell upon him. And the result, you can read about it in the book of Acts, and we can read about it today in his letter uh, to the elect exiles dispersed throughout uh, provinces in Asia Minor, Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So uh, today we're going to be talking about gratitude. I know Thanksgiving isn't until November. Uh, that's usually when we get the sermon, like, uh, have an attitude of gratitude. That's, that's my favorite title of a uh, Thanksgiving sermon. And that's when we often take time, maybe it's around the Thanksgiving feast, before we succumb to the tryptophan food coma. I heard that's a myth, actually, that turkeys don't cause you to fall asleep. But food does, uh, that food coma. Uh, but before that, we, we like to go around the table and, you know, ask each person to tell us something they're, they're thankful for. My wife loves to do that. Me, whatever, you know. But even though it's not Thanksgiving, let me ask you to think about what you are truly thankful for. What causes you to feel deep uh, gratitude and keeping in, you know, we've got a good... Got people here today. So any, anybody want to share, shout out something that they just feel maybe even recently deep gratitude about? Gloria? Great. Anybody else? Salvation. That's the message. We'll get to that. Don't, don't jump the gun on me, man. Amando? Yeah. Good. Randy? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, with that, we will, we will move on. Uh, now, maybe you don't even, maybe, maybe you're sitting there feeling, you know, gratitude, it's hard for me, gratitude, maybe you don't give thanks. In his book, uh, Folk Psalms of Faith, Ray Steadman tells of an experience of Harry A. Ironside, if you haven't heard of him, he's a, he was a guy, big guy. Uh, he had this experience in a crowded restaurant. Just, just as Ironside was about to begin his meal, a man approached and asked if he could join him. Ironside invited him to sit down. 
Then, as was his custom, Ironside bowed his head in prayer. When he opened his eyes, the other man asked, do you have a headache? Ironside replied, no, I don't. The other man asked, well, is there something wrong with the food? Ironside replied, no, I was simply thanking God, as I always do before I eat. The man said, oh, you're one of those. Well, I want you to know, I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start in. Ironside said, yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does. Now, the, the story ends there. It doesn't continue, so I don't know if the man punched, punched Ironside or not. And I think Ironside was a little harsh, considering that the man was, was clearly not a believer in God. And if you're not a believer, then you probably don't understand uh, what having, the, the, having gratitude towards God. But as Christians, gratitude should be a, a con, our, our, our continual response to God. I know I've said it before that of all people on earth, Christians should be the most joyful. We should have that joy, joy, joy down in our heart. And part of having that joy comes from the fact that we have so much to be grateful for. Therefore, of all people, Christians should be the most thankful, have the most gratitude. And today, as the title of the message indicates, if you got some notes or uh, it's up there, right? It's still up there. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I had to think about wh- how the message was going to go this morning without that up there because I was here at about 7.45 and the power went off in the whole place. It came back on about 15 minutes later, but anyway. Title of the message. We're going to focus on what I would say is the one thing uh, we should be most grateful for, and that is our salvation. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we look at God's Word today, that our gratitude towards Him would grow, and that our increased gratitude would cause us to love, to honor, to obey, to serve, to glorify God in greater ways in the days to come. Now, in 1 Peter, we've already seen several things, a number of things that we should be grateful for. So by way of review, and to just give us the context, let me read through verses 1 through 9 and just point out some of those things. Beginning in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We should be grateful that we're elect, that God has chosen us. We are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood, we should be thankful for God's foreknowledge that He knew us from the beginning. Uh, We'll mention that again later. We should be thankful that God's Spirit brings about our sanctification, our transformation, our purification, our obedience to Jesus Christ. And we should be thankful that, that we've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, that His blood pays for our sins, covers our sins, and provides us with forgiveness before God. Peter continues, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We should be immensely thankful for God's great mercy. 
We should be thankful that God, by His mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope. And we should be thankful for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that enables us by faith to be born again. And not just born again, but born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We should be thankful for our eternal inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We should be thankful for our eternal inheritance and our salvation, that they're 100% secure. They're kept in heaven by the power of God. And in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And yes, we should even be thankful for our status as exiles in this world. Exiles who experience various trials. Because it's through these trials that our faith is tested, it's purified like gold, which will result in our faith receiving praise and glory and honor from God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We can thank God for the gift of faith, For even though we don't see Christ with our physical eyes, by faith we love Him and believe in Him and rejoice with inexpressible, glorious joy in Him. Really, we can thank God that by faith we have a relationship with Him. And then Peter writes, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Put simply, we should be thankful for the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Clearly, we have a lot to be thankful for. Would you agree? I believe Peter is saying to these elect exiles, these suffering saints who are experiencing various trials, he's saying, I know that your trials, your suffering are causing you grief. I get that. I'm experiencing that too in this life, he says. But let me lift you above your grief and give you reasons for gratitude. And that's what he continues to do in verses 10 through 12 as he focuses in on salvation. He said, obtaining uh, your faith, obtaining the salvation of your souls. And then he writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In other words, the prophets, you know who they are, the Old Testament prophets were searching and longing and desiring to see what they themselves were being moved to predict about the coming Christ, about the Messiah. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Not just the prophets, but angels themselves long to see the Messiah and the salvation he would bring. Do you see the point Peter's making? If not, maybe Jesus can help. 
He made a similar point when he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The point that both Jesus and Peter were making is this. In the past, before the coming of Christ, people, prophets, and righteous men, even angels, long to see and to hear, experience what you are seeing and hearing and experiencing through Jesus Christ right now. But they couldn't. Therefore, you should feel greatly blessed and thankful for what you, you've seen and heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what you're experiencing through relationship with Jesus Christ. Or put simply, you should feel great gratitude and wonder for the salvation of your soul. As human beings in general, we feel gratitude about for what we value. Is that right? We, we talked about it. I mean, a couple people gave some indications of what they value by giving thanks for them. I value my wife and my children, my grandchildren. They are important to me. Therefore, I'm grateful that I have them in my life, that I get to see them. Well, not as much anymore. So let me ask you a question. How much do you value your salvation? Or how grateful are you to God for His gift to you of salvation, that by His mercy, He caused you to be born again to a living hope. How grateful are you to God for that? Well, again, my hope for today is that by looking at God's Word, that we will grow. I mean, this is a process. You know, maybe you're out there and you are, you are every time you think about it, and you think about it a lot, you think about, man, what a joy it is. I am so grateful to be saved. I'm so grateful to not be concerned about my eternity that I'm going to spend it with the Lord of glory. And you just think about that, but maybe that's not on your mind very much. My hope today is that by looking at God's Word that we each will grow from where we are a step closer to understanding and gratitude for our salvation. And to accomplish this, there are two things I want to do. First, I want us to briefly look at at some of the things that Peter, in his letter, has said about salvation in general. I mean, the whole, you could take the whole Bible, right? That's one of, if not the main themes of God's Word is salvation, God's plan of salvation, how He's worked it out through Jesus Christ. But we're going to limit ourselves to 1 Peter, because if we're going to be grateful for our salvation, we need to understand what it is. And then we're going to look specifically at verses 10 through 12 and see five reasons that Peter gives to show the greatness, the value of our salvation and the gratitude we should have for it. So first, let's look at Peter's view of salvation. Now, let me set the stage with another question. How great is our need for salvation? Or do we need to be saved? The question is not, do we think we need to be saved? You can need to be saved and not know it. Uh, For example, if an airplane was taking off from March Air Force Base right about now, Christine and I were in the line uh, in and out a couple days ago. Well, almost every day, but just kidding. 
Uh, and there was a plane, I don't know what it was. Christina, you know what it was? She used to work for Lockheed Aircraft, so I thought she might know these things. Anyways, it was, it was going around, and it was t- practicing the touchdowns, the landings, and, and it, you know, the line was so long, we saw it about five times turning around. But what if the plane started losing altitude and was heading straight for this sanctuary right now? You would need to be saved. I would need to be saved, but you wouldn't know it unless someone came running in, shouting what was happening. Terry's out there. He's our outdoor security. He'd probably warn us. So you can see that feeling safe doesn't mean you are safe. You may desperately need salvation and not even feel like you're in danger at all. So I ask again, do we need to be saved? And the answer that the Bible gives is a resounding uh, yes, definitely, for sure. So let's see what Peter, with a little help, I'm, I'm going I'm to reinforce a few things with a couple other New Testament writers, has to say about our need for salvation. And when it comes to salvation, there are two aspects we, aspects we should consider. First, what God saves us from. The second one is what God saves us to. There's a from and a to. This is what we usually think of in terms of salvation. We think of it, think of it in terms of deliverance, of being rescued uh, from some kind of danger. For example, if you're swimming in the ocean and a strong riptide uh, grabs hold of you and begins to pull you out to sea and you start feeling weary, your strength gives out, you can't swim anymore, What danger do you need to be saved, rescued from? Drowning, death, right? So so are there dangers which we may or may not know about, but still need to be saved from? Let's see what Peter says about that. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he writes, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Why did Christ bear our sins? Because we need to be saved from our sins. Remember Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn for a life of sin is death, eternal spiritual death, eternal separation from God, eternal life without Christ. Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Sin is like a, a terminal disease that will kill us forever. And Peter says, quoting the prophet Isaiah, Christ's wounds can heal that disease. Christ's death on the cross can rescue us from our sin that results in eternal death. And then in 1 Peter 4, 17, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We not only need to be saved from our sin, we need to be saved from God's judgment. Sin is not just a terminal disease that needs healing or it will result in death. It's also a terminal, puts upon you terminal guilt that deserves judgment. In Romans 1.18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For those who do not obey the gospel, which means for those who do not, who who fail to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will not be saved from their sin. 
They will continue in their ungodliness and unrighteousness and will experience the terrible wrath of God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ bears this judgment. Christ took upon himself the wrath of God. He sat, I think we sang it this morning. He satisfied the wrath of God for all who trust in him. Christ saves us from our sin and he saves us from God's wrath. Then finally, in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in faith. In other words, you need to be safe from the devil, who's a liar and a murderer and is trying to destroy as many human beings as he can so that he, he won't be alone in hell. He's a lion, which means he's far more powerful than you or I. So we need to be saved from Satan. John adds, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, uh, his ability to devour us. And Peter says, resist him in our faith. So Peter's answer to what we need to be saved from is, we need to be saved from our sin because it results in eternal death, separation from God. We are in grave danger. We need to be saved from the judgment of God because with it comes God's wrath. It's not just death, it's the wrath of God that will be poured out on you if you're not saved. And we need to be saved from Satan because he's seeking to destroy, devour us. The question we need to answer now is, are you in danger? Is Peter telling the truth? Do you need to be saved from these things? And if that's not enough, there's more. Because God not only offers to save us from these terrible things... He also saves us to some some wonderful things, some glorious things. Let's see what God saves us to. Back to the drowning example. We get saved from drowning, from death. Like I said, when we talk about salvation, we usually are referring to this kind of being rescued, rescued from our sin and death and judgment. But suppose once the lifeguard rescues you from drowning, he then takes you home and he cares for you. He adopts you and he puts you in his will to provide for your future. Now that's a different kind of salvation, right? And that's the kind of salvation God in Christ Jesus provides for all who trust in him. He saves you from some terrible things, but he saves you to some wonderful things. Let's let's begin with 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. There's the, the God saves us from sin. Jesus, the righteous one, suffered and died for the unrighteous, for the sinful. Why? That that he might bring us to God, being, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Sin separates us from God. So Christ died for our sins to bring us to God. We are saved to, into a relationship with God. We see this also in chapter 2, verse 25. Peter says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Salvation means being brought home uh, into relationship with your loving shepherd who, who will lead you into green pastures. He will lead you beside the still waters. You're saved to a loving relationship with, with God, with Christ. Then in 1 Peter 4, 5, 4, he writes, 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is that imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance Peter wrote about in verse 4. So we're saved to an eternal, glorious, royal inheritance. We're adopted into the family of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are His royal children. Then Peter in chapter 5, verse 10, he, he says that God called us to this. And after you have suffered a little while, that's the little while, that's the exiles on earth, the God of all grace who has called you into His eternal glory in Christ will, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We are saved to share the glory of Jesus Christ. And the result of this will, will, will of course, be everlasting joy. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when, you, when, when, in his, when His glory is revealed. That's what we're saved to. A personal relationship with God, with Christ, the shepherd of our soul. A participation in the eternal, unfading glory of God. And a joy and exaltation as, in that eternal glory. The Word of God this morning... Not, not, not some newspaper or the television or some internet site or a te school teacher or professor. Not even a pastor, me or anyone else. But the Spirit-inspired Word of God is this. We do need to be saved. Saved from sin and Satan and judgment and saved to a relationship with God, an eternal inheritance that includes sharing in God's glory and experiencing joy in His presence forever and ever. As David in Psalm uh, 16 wrote, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That, my friend, is what God offers to save us from and to save us to. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ and received the salvation He provides, we should experience, even in the midst of our, the various trials that this life has to offer, we should be experiencing as a backdrop this deep gratitude. Along with the joy that we talked about, as a, we should have this joyous gratitude as a backdrop to this life. And the gratitude is to God who orchestrated, planned, put forth and, and took care of our salvation. And for those who have yet to trust in Christ, the Word of God says, you need to be saved. And I pray that today God has used His Word to this point to penetrate your heart, that you might turn to Him, trust in Him for your salvation, for the salvation of your soul, and, and, and that you too might experience deep gratitude for what God in Christ has done uh, for you. What He provides, uh, what He saves you from, and what He saves you to. Amen? And I know that sounds like the end of the message. Ready for the altar call. Just kidding. But we have more today. We haven't even touched on our passage. <laughs> our three verses but I'll do it quickly. But we've prepared the way. So in verse 10 of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, when Peter says, concerning this salvation, we're now pretty clear on what he's talking about. 
His purpose, I believe, in verses 10 through 12, is to grow our gratitude and fill us with joy and worship for the infinite value of this great salvation that we've received. So let's look at Peter's value for salvation. What I mean is, how does Peter show the value of our salvation? And he does this by telling us uh, really five, I counted five, you may find more, amazing things about it. Things that we may never even thought about. We thought about, I think uh, many of us have thought about the things I've just spoken of about salvation, but these are some kind of different things. So let's briefly look at each one, seeing the value of our salvation and allowing our gratitude to grow. First, uh, Christ predicted our salvation. Look at the middle of verse 11. The Spirit of Christ in them, referring to the prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, and the subsequent glories. Okay, Peter points out the amazing fact that Christ himself, the Spirit of Christ, hundreds of years before his own death and resurrection, was through the prophets predicting his own death and resurrection and subsequent glories. Which means that Christ, the Son of God in heaven, has been contemplating his suffering and death for longer than we can imagine. How long? This links, back, this links us back to verse uh, uh, 2, I think it was, where Peter talks about the foreknowledge of God. As, as long as, as far back as the plan of salvation reached in the mind of God, that's how long Christ has been willing and ready to suffer and die in our place. To give Himself as a sacrificial offering for our sins. Consider that, that you were not uh, loved for just a single moment in history when Jesus died on the cross. You've been loved for endless ages in the eternal plan of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit to save sinners who trust in Him. Now, I don't want this to go, uh, cause your ego to grow, thinking you must be awesome because Christ loved you for so, so much and so long. Instead, I want your gratitude to grow thinking that Christ's love for you is not because of you, but because of Christ. Value and be grateful that that Christ predicted uh, your salvation, that in eternity, uh, Christ's great love for you caused Him to create a, a plan to save you. Then second, the prophets inquired into our salvation. Well, why is so? Peter highlights the fact uh, highlights the value of our salvation by telling us how the prophets longed to be part of it, how they searched and inquired into it. Verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So, through the prophets, the Spirit of Christ is predicting our salvation. The prophets are prophesying about the grace of God that will be poured out, that will be received. And so they get very excited and interested in what Christ is predicting through them, which causes them to search and inquire carefully about who this person will will be and when, when will he come. For example, Christ came to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the incarnation, before he was born in Bethlehem. And said, write this, Isaiah. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what Peter is saying is that, is that when the Spirit of Christ told Isaiah to write that, Isaiah said, Lord, who? Lord, when? How long, O oh Lord? How long? This searching and inquiring and longing by the prophet shows that they understood the tremendous value of our salvation. So understand, value, and be grateful that what the prophets diligently sought to know and to understand, you have received. Then third, the prophets served us in our salvation. The Lord answers this inquiring call of the prophets. Uh, in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets were, were very interested in through whom and when salvation would arrive. But it was revealed to them by God that they had all the information that they were going to receive. This isn't about you, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Habakkuk, etc. It's about future generations who will read what you have written and understand who I am. So the Spirit of Christ says to Isaiah, Isaiah, be patient. You're not serving yourself or merely your own generation. You are serving saints hundreds of years from now. They will, re, they will see your prophecy of me like Isaiah 53.7, just the next verse in what we read already. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah, future generations will read this prophecy and it will lead some of them to me because they will have the full picture. They will have the Old Testament prophecy and they will, have, uh, they will see or read the New Testament fulfillment. They will know that I, Christ, experienced uh, what I experienced on the cross, how I was oppressed and afflicted, how I did not open my mouth before my accusers, how I, uh, how I like a lamb, was led to the slaughter. I went to the cross without a word of protest and gave my life for the sins of humanity. Your prophecy, Isaiah will serve those I will save, providing them with proof that I am who I said I am. So value and be grateful that God used the prophets to serve you, to provide you with the necessary proof that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. And fourth, the angels long to look into our salvation. Well, that's, that's pretty lofty, right? Angels. The next thing Peter says to highlight the value of our salvation, angels love, long to look into it. Verse 12, at the end, things into which angels long to look. This doesn't mean that they, they want to but can't. It's not hidden from them. It means they want to because, in a sense, they are outsiders to this drama of sin and redemption. They're messengers. They got to come and announced Jesus' arrival. They got to be there at the resurrection and say, He's not here. He's risen. But they didn't experience it like we experience it. 
And they, they love to watch the great work of God's salvation unfold in history and in the lives of the saints. Peter's point is this. If angels value, if they get excited about our salvation, how much more should we get excited? How much more should we value it? How much more should we be grateful for it? If angels love to look at the work of God in saving sinners like us, how much more should we, who are the beneficiaries of this salvation, not just onlookers, how much more should we value and love and be thankful for it? And say, as Peter did in chapter uh, 3, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. More than angels, we value, we are grateful for, the sa- for His saving work. And finally, the Holy Spirit proclaims our salvation. Peter highlights the value of our salvation by telling us in verse 12 that the Holy Spirit Himself, sent from heaven, has brought us the news of our salvation through the gospel. We tend to think uh, uh, something is more, you know, if the president says it, it's a big deal. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit is saying this, it's a big deal. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The prophets, by prophesying about Christ, were not serving themselves. They were serving us. We got that. And the things they prophesied are now being announced to you, to Peter's readers, to us, to all who hear the word of God. And how is what Christ predicted through the prophets being announced? Through those who preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is the right place for us to stop today. Because this is what's happening right now. I'm preaching to you the gospel, the good news, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That He offers salvation. uh, And that salvation has tremendous value. Value beyond measure. Salvation from sin. Salvation from judgment. Salvation from Satan. And salvation to a relationship with God and an eternal, glorious, joy-filled inheritance. I'm preaching an offer of salvation that's far more valuable than anything else you own or know. But it's not just me calling your attention to the worth of Christ, to salvation. It is, I believe, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven speaking through me. And speaking to your heart. He does both. He's, he's on both sides of this equation. He's, he's in me. I have been filled with the Spirit. And He's out there in you. And that there's a connection hopefully happening. And my prayer is that, that you will not resist what He's saying to you. That if you've never received Christ... And the salvation He offers, that today would be your day of salvation. Today you would repent. You would turn from your sin, which just means turning from your old life. And trust in Christ alone to save you from sin and judgment and Satan. And to save you to a relationship with God, which includes eternal, glorious, 
joy-filled eternity. And for those of us who have received Christ and the salvation He offers, I pray for, my, for myself, pray for you, that today our knowledge and understanding of the reality and the value of our salvation has caused our hearts to swell with gratitude. And that growing gratitude will express itself in the way we live our lives. That our deep gratitude for God's glorious salvation will will cause us to trust Him more. to, To risk something for Him. To praise Him more. To worship and honor Him, to obey Him more, to to know His Word and to do His Word, to serve Him more, to honor and glorify Him more with our lives. Not just, not out, not even just, not even part, out of a sense of duty or any kind of repayment for what He has done. There is no possible way to do that. We've talked about that before. But purely out of a sense of deep gratitude, for the salvation of your soul and everything that that includes. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful and I pray that we would be so grateful for what you've done for us, for what you've saved us from, for what you've saved us to. Father, we rejoice in you and we thank you. Lord, and I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, I pray for those that maybe don't know you yet, that they would understand that and they would come to you today. But I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would understand the reality of our salvation, the value of our salvation, exactly what you've done for us. And Lord, in gratitude, it would cause us to, uh, to follow after you, to follow hard after you in every area of our life. Lord, give us uh, grateful hearts in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you as you're dismissed today. Thank you for coming, and I hope to see you next week.